0: Good day, my friends, and thank you for joining me on another podcast, and have a, uh, by the way, a blessed and happy 2024. We're going to continue as we were with the life of Jesus, and in this podcast is when Jesus is starting his public ministry. He's probably about around 30 years old. We actually haven't heard anything about him since he was 12 years old, but The sign that Jesus was to come forth, what he knew was John the Baptist going before him. I guess when Jesus saw John, he knew the time had come. And so let me just read a few of the verses that go hand in hand with this. Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized of him. And John didn't want to do it. He said, I have need to be baptized of thee, you're coming to me. And Jesus said, allow it to be so for now, we're fulfilling all righteousness. And so John did. And Jesus, when he went into the water and when he came up, the spirit of God descended upon him, it says, like a dove. And then a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So at the same time Jesus is being baptized, he's getting confirmation from his father that, yes, now is the time. I'm well pleased with my son. And now he begins his uh, public ministry. Actually, that's a great word for this year. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased we're God's children and he is so well pleased to have us as his children. So that's a thought to carry through for this year. No matter what you go through, know that you're God's child and he is well pleased to have you as his child. So Jesus is baptized of John, and it had been prophesied in Scripture that one would come with the spirit of Elijah of the Old Covenant, the same way to introduce Christ, to help to bring forth his ministry, to pave the way, so to speak, for Jesus as coming as the Messiah to minister to the nation of Israel. Now, John's an interesting character, and he's uh, from a group that at that time was called the Essenes. And I've mentioned these groups before in another podcast, but uh, you had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, the Zealots, and then you had this group, the Essenes, and they were a little different. These were kind of wilderness people who lived a very ascetic lifestyle. They kind of pulled away from society and they didn't eat the foods society ate. They didn't drink wine. They didn't wear any uh, fancy clothes Their housing, everything was uh, very, very low-key. And even some of them uh, didn't even bother marrying. But they were also a very prophetic people. That's where we get the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls from, this area where the Essenes lived. And uh, John coming as a Baptist, the Essenes even practiced this religious thing of ablutions on a daily basis, which is a sign that they would go into the water and come up just as a sign of purity before God. So hence, John is the baptizer. And the Jewish society was kind of ambivalent about the uh, Essenes. The Pharisees saw themselves as the conduit between God and the people, so they questioned the Essenes having any authority with the people, and that's why when John was baptized, the Pharisees came out to check him out. And there came a time later in Jesus' ministry, and of course the Pharisees were always questioning Jesus, questioning him in such a way where they're looking almost to trap him And they were talking about John the Baptist, and Jesus tells them, he says, you know, John the Baptist came, and he didn't eat the food I eat, he didn't drink any wine, I drink wine, and he would never hang out with the kind of people I hang out with, and you said he was crazy. He said, and here I am, I do these things, and you're finding fault with me, and he was pointing out that was absolute. No pleasing these people. The needle either way. If the needle went one way or the other, or even in the middle, it wasn't going to please them because the Pharisees wanted to be the religious authority over the people, and John the Baptist was questioning them, and of course, Jesus came later, and he also questioned them. So, John comes baptizing. He's at the Jordan River. This is where, uh, today, when you're hearing all the news, the West Bank. It's, uh, it's funny. The West Bank in Israel is in the east of Israel, but it's on the West Bank of the Jordan so that's why they call it the West Bank today. That's where the PLO is. And then you've got the Gaza Strip where the war's going on. That's where Hamas is. And then you got up in Lebanon where Hezbollah is. It's always some group, some enemy that rises up. And hence we have wars. But anyway, that's where John the Baptist is uh, ministering and baptizing. And his message is the same message that Jesus would start his ministry out with. Repent because the kingdom of God's coming. Now, when we think of repent, we think of repent from sin, and that's true. But he was talking about more of, uh, repent means to turn away. He was talking about more than just turning away from sin. He's talking about turning away from the whole way you've been used to living because something brand new is coming, the kingdom of God. Uh, The people that John was talking to and later Jesus would talk to, they saw natural Israel being restored, like to, to the prominence that it once had under its kings and all. But John and Jesus are talking about something different, something brand new, the kingdom of God, he's saying. So when they're coming up out of the water and they're being baptized, certainly they want, you know, they're trying to prepare and repent before God for any wrongdoing. But he's trying to get them to understand you've got to turn away from life as you've known it. And that's always kind of a challenge. I think uh, it can be easier sometimes to repent of some bad behavior than it is to repent as life as you've always known it. It's difficult to get a person who has a, different pers- a certain perspective on life. He has certain perspective and opinions. And he forms them around a viewpoint to turn away from that It's sometimes very, very difficult to do because what they would be turning to might be something different, and it might be something a little more uncomfortable in their natural life. And certainly as Jesus began to talk about his kingdom and life in his kingdom, that's why many people were like, okay, we love the miracles and the healings, but your message is like a little bit different. It could be a little bit uncomfortable. It was a shaking up of life as we had known it. It wasn't only true for them, it's true for us today. A lot of people, myself included, we want change in our life, but are we really looking to sacrifice some things in our natural lives to bring about that change? It cost John the Baptist, it cost Jesus, it cost Peter, James, John, the Apostles, Paul later, it cost them all their lives for the change that came about with the kingdom of God. And I'm not sitting here today telling you it's going to cost you your life. I'm telling you it could cost you, it could cost you your life. I'm telling you it could cost you some change in life as you know it. And that's where the rubber hits the road. Because you see, the kingdom of God is talking about that Jesus brought, turning the other cheek, loving your enemies, doing good to those who despitefully use you. So the kingdom of God is about reconciliation, not retribution love is the law of the kingdom of God. And so you can see when Jesus is bringing this to these people and he's telling them, hey, guys, we're going to love our enemies and we're going to do good to those that use you. And if a Roman asks you to carry a... Uh, his script, one mob, carry it two, three, or four. Now, these people are looking at Jesus at that point and shaking their heads saying, well, this is something new because there's nothing in the old covenant about loving our enemies or turning the other cheek. We're more the eye for the eye and the tooth for the tooth type people. But Jesus is saying, no, I'm giving you a new heart. This is going to be a new kingdom, a new way of life. And I think sometimes even as Christians, when I say love is the law of the kingdom, we like to redefine love. But love is the giving of yourself for another. And so when Jesus is talking loving your enemies, he's talking about you're going to live a life where you're looking beyond yourself. And you're, I'm giving you the spirit of re- reconciliation. I'm telling you those people out there that are enemies, of my, of people that just might rub you the wrong way. I'm talking about they need to be reconciled to God, and then you reconcile with them. That's the kingdom of God. And again, that's what I'm saying about challenges and in bringing about change that sometimes is very foreign to us. And I think sometimes today we need to sit back, look at the message of Jesus, and understand the kind of love he was talking about. It's un He loves us unconditionally. And he's asking us to do the same thing with others, and that's a challenge. Anyway, the message Jesus begins with is the same as John, repent, the kingdom is here. And so Jesus comes to John to be baptized. John was startled, and he says, not so, Lord. you know, And Jesus is saying, it's necessary for the fulfillment of all righteousness. So what does he mean by that? Well, Jesus is certainly going to go down on the water and be baptized on behalf of us. But he's also looking to say, John, do this because I'm going to start my public ministry right now, and this is absolutely necessary for my beginning. And it must have been a, a, an interesting thing for Jesus. Again, he's about 30 years old, and you say, well, what in the world was he doing from the time he was 12 years old to the time he was 30? And the scriptures tell us all he was doing was growing, maturing, and preparing. And I think I said in the last one, the times of preparation in our lives for the, whatever God's called us to do can be longer, the periods, than the actual thing God's called us to do because he wants to be us to be that powerful when he calls us to step out and do what he's called us to do. And so it was days of preparation for Jesus. And by the way, history tells us that Jesus' father, earthly father, Joseph, died at a rather young age. So Jesus being the oldest one in the family, he'd be responsible for that family. He's like the head of that household. So I guess don't ever think Jesus doesn't know what it's like to raise a family because he was involved with it. Okay, so so it begins now, what's the next step after baptism? Well, Jesus is led out into the wilderness. it says by the spirit to be tried of the devil. Well, that's a great start that's that's fun. I just got confirmation from my father. I'm all excited about that, and the next thing I get to do is go out and do battle with the devil. <clears throat> Let me read the scriptures in that. It says Jesus was led up into the wilderness led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Jesus was tempted just like You and I are tempted. It had to be that way. If he was going to redeem us, then he had to come as a man because it was a man that sinned. And the old covenant animal sacrifices were used to cover up sin. Well, it wasn't the animal that sinned. It was man that sinned. And so Jesus has to come as a man and he's going to feel the same things we feel, go through the same things we go through. And so here he's going to begin to be tempted of the devil. And it says when he was out there in the wilderness, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and it says afterward he was hungry. Now, 40 days, 40 nights goes back to in Scripture to Moses going up in the mount, and when he got the Ten Commandments. But see, Moses, Jesus, they're going out there in the presence of God. And the Scripture using 40 days and 40 nights uh, very well could be literal, but 40 in Scripture always talks about a time frame of testing and trials. And... When Jesus is fasting, when Moses was fasting, because they were so in the presence of God, caught up in the presence and what was being told to them and spoken to them, I think food was probably not the thing that was paramount in the mind because it says here, afterward, Jesus was hungry. He was so caught up in the presence of God, at that time he was, but afterwards he was, and that's when the enemy would come, and don't ever forget, the enemy tries to attack you in your weakest moments. When you're feeling down, when you're feeling out, if you might be feeling, I mean, that's when he's going, when you're sick, when you're tired, that's generally when he's going to come in. In this case, it says Jesus was a hungered and a tempter came to him and he said, if thou be the son of God, and he says, then you can just command these stones to be made into bread. Now, the if here, he's going to do this. On several occasions, he's going to tell you, if you're the son of God, the next temptation he's going to say, if you're the son of God. So this if is a question of identity. It's the same thing that the enemy did in the Garden of Eden. If God's who he says he is, he said to Adam and Eve, you know, if he is, then, you know, eat from this tree that he said you can't eat because God loves you and God's going to, and then you're going to be his God. And, you know, so it's a question of he's challenging not only God's identity, he's challenging Adam and Eve's identity because the enemy wants to attack identity because identity is hooked to destiny. If he can catch you in who, and thinking that God isn't who he said he is or you're not who you said he is, then he can destroy your destiny. So so that's why he's coming after Jesus with the if question. If God's who he said he is and you are who you say you are, then he says, "Go ahead and do this. Eat from the eat, turn stone into bread." Now, what does Jesus tell him? He says, "Man doesn't live by every by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God." And so Jesus is telling him, "I'm not going to please my flesh to satisfy you." He said, "I live by something more important." Than my fleshly appetites. He's basically saying, I'm led by the spiritual side of me, not by the natural side of me. And of course, now that we're in the new kingdom with a new heart, a new covenant, the spirit of Jesus in us, it's the same thing. I mean, we're living first and foremost for him and others, not for self. So we're not looking primarily to please our flesh like the enemy is asking Jesus here. Now the Jesus is also learning. The strategy of the enemy here, and I think that's uh, kind of the thing you do. I, I, I watch a lot of football to know your team's opponent, to know what he's going to do. Then you develop a strategy and a game plan to defeat him. And we know the enemy's game plan is always, you know, the same as we saw: deception. You want you to confuse your identity of you and God yourself. And he tries to do it here in three ways with Jesus. There's three ways the enemy's going to tempt you. It's called the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. What's the lust of the eyes? It's you looking out and always wanting more than what you have, never being content in what you have. You're looking out and you're seeing others have this, other you're listening and watching the marketing of today that's telling you always be more, have more. And so you begin to get tempted in that way. I want what, what this or I want that and sometimes what we want isn't best for us. And the lust of the flesh, that's that's pretty easy to understand. It's all, it can be sexual sin, it can be uh, drugs, alcohol. I mean, all of the, the lust of the flesh, pleasing of the flesh in any way, in an inordinate way. I mean, there's certain things, there's nothing wrong with the, uh, some of the things that God's given us. All things that God gives us in life, whatever it is, alcohol, prescription, drugs, sex, money, food, whatever. Things are to be used and not abused. And of course, what the enemy wants to do with any temptation, lust of the flesh, abuse what God has given you rightfully. Abuse it. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the other thing is the pride of life. And we all know how pride goes before a fall. Sometimes uh, the enemy will come in and, and test us in certain ways where he's questioning uh our standing before others or he's questioning you're not doing enough or he's questioning uh, in a, in such a way that causes our pride to rise up and our pride can sometimes lead us into some really silly decisions i can speak for that in my own life so anyway this is the three ways and the first one bread from rocks jesus has been fasting he's hungry and he's telling him, don't you have the power? And Jesus says, no, I don't live that way. I don't misuse the power that God's giving me for my ministry. I'm not going to use that power for my own end. I'm using this for God. I'm using this for others. But I'm not going to abuse that power and use it for strictly for myself. So then he takes him up onto a uh, a high place, and sets him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he tells him again, "If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for He's given His angels charge concerning thee, and they're going to bear thee up, lest at any time, you know, you fall and and get hurt." Now, what He's asking Jesus to do here is be presumptuous, be foolish, dear God, to protect you, be reckless. I double dare you, or as they said in the, I just watched that Christmas thing again, Christmas, I triple dare you, throw yourself off this, because prove who you are, prove who God is, and see, this is pricking at Jesus' pride, prove yourself, throw yourself down, and so anyway, Jesus, what does he do, he says to him, you yeah, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He said, in other words, I'm not going to do something. I'm not going to misuse, again, my power and my authority. I don't need to prove myself to you. And God always said, I'm a, I am already said, I'm his beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it's a good lesson for us. Do we really need to prove ourselves? Now, there's a difference between a Christian letting his light shine before others and being a salt of the earth or somebody who's just trying to prove himself that I can do, I'm almost like to the point where I'm better. I'm going to prove myself. Jesus refuses to do that. So the next thing is, what does he do? He takes him up to an exceeding high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he says, all these things I'll give you if you'll just fall down and worship me. Boy, here's the enemy offering Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. This is, again, what I was talking about before, the lust of the eyes. He's offering Jesus position and power if he'll just sell out to who he is. Now, imagine offering Jesus that because Jesus is the King of kings and the lords of lords and all power and authority has already been given to him, and he one day will rule the world. But see, in his lifetime, at this particular point, That really wasn't going to happen. So Satan is saying, sell out to me, and I'll give you everything. Boy, we're living in a time, folks, where aren't we seeing that today? Are there people in the world, I'm talking about powerful, elitist-type people in the world, that have actually sold out to Satan, sold out to evil, just so they can have money, power, authority, and rule over other people. And of course, the answer to that, it's been happening through the ages. It's it's really nothing. I'm saying today, it's really nothing new. Kingdoms come, they last a while, God comes in and judge them. The next one rises up. It's the same thing over and over. People that actually think they're going to sell out to Satan. And as Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains this whole world? And does what? Loses his soul. Any positions, possessions, and power God allows for you in this life, hold it very, very loosely. It's not your destiny. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's your true destiny in life. And uh, probably so that there's too much of Christianity today preaching that by... uh, (laughs) by their words and by their life, that you're supposed to have it like both ways. No, you can have it in this lifetime, and then you can have it in the lifetime to come. And again, God will allow some people to have more than others in this lifetime, and then what does he say? Hold it lightly in the sense that give, and it shall be given unto you. Freely you have received, freely give out. And so any positions, possessions, and power in this lifetime, and I just said it, I'll say it again, just hold on to it very lightly, because that's not our destiny. Our destiny is the kingdom of God. And Jesus taught us it's the Father's responsibility to meet our needs. And then he taught us with his words in his life that we actually ought to be content when our needs are being met. So when the enemy takes you up to that high place and tells you, you can have this, you can have that, and you can have the other thing, say, thank you, Jesus, I have everything I need in life. You are my protector, my provider, my nurturer, my joy, rest, peace, hope, health, happiness, my righteousness, you're my all in all, and everything I need is found in you. I'm rich in you. And if you bless me with anything in this life, I thank you for it. But don't let me just store up for myself, Lord. Let me be a giver of myself, my time, my money. Let me be your steward. And that's what every one of us are called to be. Because one day, folks, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. We're going to have it all. But right now our possession, our true possession, is the riches, the riches of Christ's kingdom and character that's in us and comes forth through us. And our power, our power is the Spirit of God in us that defeats the powers of darkness and sets the captive, the oppressed and the suppressed free. And boy my goodness, in this time frame that we're living and all over this globe, all you hear is people that are held captive, people that are oppressed, people that are suppressed and it's been that way for years and centuries and God calls us to be his church, his bride to be so full of his presence and power and he says go out and set the captive, the oppressed and suppressed free and there's no greater reward than when we do that I'm going to end there thank you and we'll continue along the next time where Jesus, after he comes out of the wilderness, he begins to minister. First thing he does, he begins to meet some people, some who will later be his apostles. And it's interesting to see how this all gets put together. All thank you. God bless. And again, Happy New Year, and I will talk to you soon.